as Jesus would have shared this parable, this short story with those around him, they would have picked up on the social landscape of their day as described by Jesus. Flowing from the social landscape of their day, we discover that there are two main characters in the text. There is a Pharisee, and then there is a tax collector. Here's what we need to know about these individuals. The Pharisee was a popular leader and generally a well-respected teacher. So whenever we see this title in Scripture, we can assume that a first-century Jewish crowd would assume, okay, we're talking about a Pharisee. That's a teacher and a leader. They were known to practice good deeds and to pray. Pharisees were considered the most pious people walking around town. They had a penchant for studying and for teaching the biblical law. As people saw them, they would generally recognize this is a righteous person. This is a holy person who has given their life to God. In terms of reflecting on Pharisees now, as we see them revealed to us in the biblical text, we often have a different view. We see them as arrogant, prideful, narcissistic, religious elites who were often in conflict with Jesus. In fact, in Luke's gospel, his references to the Pharisees are almost all not complimentary. They just have a bad view, or we do, as we think about Pharisees and the biblical literature now. But that's not necessarily how those listening to Jesus, in this context, what they would have been thinking. And we just need to keep that in mind as we move forward and consider the Pharisees. Again, we see them as arrogant and against Jesus, but those listening to this story would have had a higher view. The Pharisee, that's one person in the story. The other person is a tax collector, and this is a whole different set of issues. In this culture, tax collectors were despised. And that's even noted in the text. A despicable tax collector. Tax collectors in this day were Jews who worked for the Roman government, and they collected taxes on behalf of the Romans, and they would often take a little bit extra and keep that for themselves. And there was nothing that the Jews could do about this. So they were not well-liked at all, as you can imagine. So those are the two characters. A Pharisee, leader, teacher, generally respected, and then we have the despicable or the sinful tax collector. The parables Jesus shared often contained surprises in them, and this one is no different at all. And I think we'll come to understand that as we move through our time together. I want to share a big idea with you, and then we'll talk about some thinking points that flow right from the text and these two main characters, a Pharisee and a tax collector, 
and then we'll get to our takeaways. Here's our big idea for today. Participating in God's program of living out the story of Jesus means that I regularly run to God's grace and view all people as individuals God loves. Okay? Some great phrases in this big idea. Participating in God's program. And can we just pause there and say, we all have the opportunity as followers of Jesus, as apprentices, to participate in God's program? That's available to all of us, which is a wonderful thing and should cause us to smile a little bit because we can be in on this. So participating in God's program of living out the story of Jesus. I've been reading a book recently by Mark Laberton. It's called The Dangerous Act of Worship. And he describes adequately living out the story of Jesus like this. He says it's where life gets reordered and we have an entirely different perspective on everything in life. Not just a few things, or not just the religious aspect of life or our faith, but everything gets reordered. And that's what we have the opportunity to do here when we participate in God's program of living out the story of Jesus. Everything gets reordered a little bit. So open your heart to that today. Open your mind to the reality that God may want to reorder a few things for you and in you. And here's one of the ways that this happens. It's the rest of the big idea. I regularly run to God's grace and view all people. Again, not just some, but I view all people as individuals that God loves. Okay, let's get to our thinking points. Here's number one. The behavior of both the Pharisee and the tax collector would have surprised the listeners. And that's an important thing to understand as we consider this short story of Jesus. It's one of the stunning insights. The behavior of both would have been a little alarming, and wow, this is actually happening as people listen to Jesus in their context as first century Jews. It would have been somewhat shocking for them that a pious person, a person of faith, a person who understood biblical law, and the command to love God and love your neighbor would be dismissive of someone in their community, like a tax collector. Now, it might have been okay for them to feel that way, but a religious person, a Pharisee, a leader, and a teacher, it would have been shocking for them to hear, yeah, he's being dismissive of the sinner in the story. Now, there's the other side of this, And that is, it would have also been shocking for them that a tax collector would even consider going to a temple or to a church. And it would have been alarming to them that a tax collector, a sinner, someone that they despised, someone who was a traitor to their people, would actually think about praying to God. This doesn't happen in the story, but I can imagine Jesus talking about this and the people listening saying, right. Sure, a tax collector. 
going to a church, to a temple, to pray. Ah, that's a really funny joke, Jesus. Like, it's not going to happen. That's not the way it works. Certainly, you know this, Jesus. You understand the players here. That's not how it works. We kind of sympathize, I think, as we walk through Luke chapter 18 and read about the Pharisee and the tax collector. I think we kind of sympathize with the tax collector. We like the underdog story, and we're hoping that he ends up having a right relationship with God, and that is what occurs. I think we equally become a little miffed at the self-righteous behavior of the Holy One, the Pharisee, the one who understood Scripture. We get a little miffed at his arrogance, it's very possible that it would have been the opposite reaction for those in the audience. So the parable surprises. Thinking point number two, the Pharisee's prayer may be misunderstood. And there are several biblical scholars who state, "Eh, we kind of come down on the Pharisee. It may not be exactly as it appears. So It's possible that his prayer is misunderstood here, but I will state it sure seems like it's moving in the wrong direction. And here's what I mean by that. It appears to be rather braggadocious, doesn't it? Like, thank you, God. I'm not like these other adulterers and sinners. And oh, by the way, there's a tax collector. And wow, God, thank you that I'm not like him because we all know what he is like and we all know what he does. So it comes across as really bragging that I'm not like them. Here's what verse 11 says. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. He just begins to run the list here. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. In researching this, I discovered that thanking God for being righteous, and that is essentially what the Pharisee is doing here. He's thanking God for his righteousness, and in this context, that would not have been viewed as arrogant by those listening to Jesus. The Pharisee is doing what he should, He's thanking God that he's not like other sinners. In fact, Craig Keener, a biblical scholar, wrote on this and observed, the first hearers of this parable would not think of the Pharisee as boastful, but rather as grateful to God for his piety. So again, the parable surprises a little bit because we naturally read this and we become irritated with the self-righteousness of the Pharisee, that would not have been how those listening to Jesus share the story would have observed his behavior. I don't disagree with any of this, but I do think it is hard to dismiss the other character in the story, and that is a tax collector, and how he was known to be a sinner, and the Pharisee addresses him and notes he's there, he's in the temple, and now I'm going to compare myself to him and thank God I'm not like this individual. Maybe the Pharisee does all of that with a pure heart. Maybe. 
But I don't know. I don't know. I think the prayer kind of gets away from him and turns into, I am better than him, and so other people should applaud me. And all of that kind of moves away from the spirit of Jewish hospitality and community. So it doesn't quite match, and that's why I think the prayer gets away from the Pharisee and becomes about him. Thinking point number three, the tax collector's prayer is short and to the point. And it's quite a contrast from what we see from the Pharisee. He prays, and it's kind of him not being like the other people around him. The tax collector comes in, and his prayer is short and direct. Scholar Amy Jill Levine, in her book on the parables of Jesus, stated it this way, We have no reason to doubt the tax collector's sincerity. He bravely entered the temple where he knew that other worshipers might regard him as a collaborationist, an extorter, or a Nissan rogue. Just wanted to be sure you're still with me. The tax collector, here's what he does. He admits his sin and his need for mercy, and he does that with just 11 words. That's the totality of his prayer. Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And that's the heart of his prayer. This is what he offers up, knowing what other people are thinking about him being in the temple and praying and shocked by this behavior. He offers up just 11 words, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. This is how he identifies himself. So a couple of key words in that prayer, there's the word merciful, which means to forgive or to make atonement for or to have pity. This is what he asked for from God. <laughs> Please forgive me. Make, make atonement for my mistakes. Have pity on me. And then there's the word sinner, which means exactly what we think it should mean. It's a sinner, but it's interesting because in some contexts, it has the idea of this in individual being an outcast from the religious community, like they're on the outside and I believe that's exactly what we see here. So we could paraphrase his prayer this way when you take the word merciful and the word sinner and you use the heart of these Greek words. We could say it this way. Oh God, have pity on me for I am a sinner and an outcast. And again, this is all very shocking for those listening to Jesus. And the reason it's shocking is because they had to open their heart to the idea of two different things. That a tax collector would step into a temple and pray. Like Jesus is saying this, it's not a joke, he's being serious, it could happen. We don't see it that much, maybe not at all. But we have to open our heart to what Jesus is saying here, that someone who is a social outcast, a sinner in the religious world, could actually enter into a church. And then they had to open their hearts to the possibility 
that God may actually forgive this individual. And I don't know if I'm ready for that. And I don't know if I want that. I don't know if this is a real thing or not, but Jesus is saying it. And so I have to open my heart to the reality that God might actually forgive this type of despicable sinner. Like, can this happen? Can it happen? They had to be open to that. And so the parable continues to disrupt. I hope you see this. Thinking point number four, the conclusion helps us see that God has unlimited generosity. We see it in verse 14. Jesus wraps up the story by saying, I tell you, this sinner, this sinner, the tax collector, doesn't even call him that, just this sinner, this despicable one that you don't like, not the Pharisee, returned home, will you say this word with me? Justified. It's an amazing word in the text here. The sinner, not the Pharisee, not the righteous one, not the expert in religious law, not him. It's the sinner who returned home justified. That word there means to declare righteous. Or it's someone who is now in a right relationship with God. And so Jesus is saying here, as he wraps all of this up, you just need to know it's the tax collector, it's the sinner, the one that you despise, not the one you assume would get this, but the other one, he returns home declared right, and he is in a right relationship before God, as the rest of the verse says. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In Jesus' story, the one who ends up right is the sinner. It's the tax collector. And we kind of like that, and we're okay with that because we are all sinners as well. That feels good. It's a good ending to the story. But as I began to research this and study, I asked myself the question, what happened to the Pharisee? Was he ever declared right? Does he move away from this situation and this story in a right relationship with God? Certainly he had all of the right information, didn't he? He knew about God and loving him and loving your neighbor. He had all of the right content right in front of him. He was an expert on those things. But is he ever declared right like the tax collector? Well, we don't know. The story just ends there. There is no new information. And this is what makes the parables so intriguing because they provoke us to think and to wonder and to question. We know what happened to the tax collector, but what happens to the Pharisee? We're left to wonder about this and to wrestle with truth. I think what we can say is this. Based on what we find in Scripture... God's love and his availability to declare someone right is available to those who think they are right, like the tax collector. It's also available to those who understand they are not right, the tax collector. So this is what we know to be true in Scripture. 
God's love and his ability to declare someone right is for those who think they are right, like the Pharisee, and for those who understand that they are not right, like the tax collector, and everything and everyone in between. And this is why we wrestle with the parables, because they give us truth about what Jesus thinks and how God behaves in relationship to us. God's love and his availability to declare someone right, it's available for all, from the Pharisee to the tax collector and everyone in between. It's good news for us. It's really good news. Let me roll out some takeaways here. I have two that are for all of us. And then I have two more takeaways that I would say are for those who would consider themselves to be mature Christ followers. So let's begin with some general takeaways. This is for everybody. Number one, in light of what we discover in Luke chapter 18, I think it would be great for everyone here to read through Luke chapter 1, verses 18 through 43. It's the whole chapter five times this week. That's our Monday through Friday reading plan. And we've been trying to do this all throughout this particular theme of just reading the same thing for five straight days and sitting in it and allowing the words that we find there to shape us, to disrupt us, perhaps, to disturb, and allowing these words to transform us into the image of Christ. What you'll find in Luke chapter 18 is there is a parable about a persistent widow. And we're not going to teach on that one, but it's really quite amazing. And then there's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. There is Jesus blessing children who they were trying to bring to Jesus and they were making a lot of noise and the disciples were like, ah, keep the children away. We talk about this sometimes when we dedicate children. Jesus is like, bring the children to me because I want to bless them. They're noise and all. And we read this all in Luke chapter 18. I would encourage you, just spend some time in this great chapter and open your heart to how Jesus acts and what he says. Read through it five times, okay? And then the second takeaway for all of us, and that is God's unlimited generosity is for all. And I've stated this a few times, but I think it bears repeating. It's for everybody, for the Pharisee to the tax collector and everyone in between. It's for those who think they have it all together and for those who understand that they don't. That's God's love, which is great news. Takeaways number three and four, these are for people who would consider yourselves to be mature Christ followers, just some things for you to consider. Here's number three, run your own spiritual race. And stop comparing yourselves to others. Okay? Seems like we're always comparing ourselves to other people in all kinds of arenas. And I see this all of the time in the church world as well. And that's what the Pharisee does. (laughs) Thank you, God. I'm like him. And I'm better off. And that tends to cap us in our spiritual growth. And it's a really dangerous thing to compare ourselves to others spiritually. It seems like we're always doing this, though. We may not talk about it, but it happens and we think it. Comparing can be a problem when it comes to our friendship with God because we have to run our own spiritual race. That's true for every single person who has embraced the love and leadership that God offers through the person of Christ 
We have to run our own spiritual race that's going to be different for every single person and it will be filled with high points and dips and stages of growth. And we're all going to be in different places within those stages and so that's why it's really dangerous to compare. But often we compare ourselves to others and when we do that spiritually, I think there are two consequences. The first one is we become very judgmental, like the Pharisee, not like him, not like that sinner, that adulterer, that cheater, that tax collector, and name the issue, I'm better than them, and we become judgmental, and judgmental Christians are really obnoxious, and they don't help the cause of Christ. And they're not individuals who live out the story of Jesus either. So this is why we have to be careful about not being judgmental and not comparing ourselves to others. One of the challenges that comes with this parable is to run your own race and compare yourself to Jesus and him alone. And that's it. And go forward from there. So one of the dangers is we become judgmental or the other danger is we become jealous. Like we see someone who's further along on the spiritual journey than what we are and we become jealous of what they have and where they are in the spiritual journey and that can be a cap for us as well. Again, let's compare ourselves to Jesus and Jesus alone. Seems like this is a really hard thing to do though, right? To not compare with others especially as social media rolls out a consistent highlight reel of flawless photos and posts about the positive accomplishments of others. It's a hard thing. In research related to the perceptions of perfections, Eric Vogel and Jason Rose noted that the everywhere presence of social media may cause this to happen. Just listen to this. It may lead to a strong overall effect on how people perceive others, both good and bad. But it leads to this, and if you spend any amount of time on social media, we know this to be true, and it leads to comparing. Can you imagine with me for just a moment if social media were available in Luke chapter 18? And you have the Pharisee looking around the temple and praying, and recognizing, well, I know what she did last night, and I know who he is, and boy, thank God I'm not like them. <laughs> Selfie, right? Like, we can picture this, and, and what about the post of the tax collector? Maybe he would be honest and transparent, or maybe he would try to cover his lifestyle and his job and make it out to be a little bit better than what it actually was? We don't know. Again, the challenge is to run your own spiritual race and don't compare to others. But we do run that race in community with others. So we look to others as a way to find encouragement and inspiration and mentorship. And then we look at those who may not be where we are, and instead of comparing, we pull them up and encourage them and motivate them and love them as Jesus would have us to do. 
So let's not compare to others. Let's be careful to open our hearts to being deeply formed by the way of Jesus and keeping our eyes on him alone and going from there. Final takeaway for those who are mature in Christ. Our only hope is God's grace. It's his unmerited favor. And that sounds really simple. Like, well, that's for believers. That's how you get in. You accept the grace of God, this unmerited favor that he freely provides for those who trust. That's for beginners. But those who have been walking with Christ for a really long time often forget about the grace of God. And when we forget about that in our journey with Christ, that becomes a problem for us because we think we can do things on our own without God's support and without God's help. Listen, I've been walking with Christ for a long time now, for a good majority of my life in imperfect ways. But I will say to you, I need God's grace as much today as the first day. I do. And that's true for anybody who's been walking with Christ. So may we never forget what God has done for us and what God has provided. And may we never get comfortable with that. May we never become satisfied with that. May we be moved with emotion by the depths of God's love that will then allow us to, back to the big idea, participating in God's program of living out the story of Jesus means that I regularly run to God's grace. It's available, which should then cause us to say, okay, well, now I'm available, and use me. Use me to live out the story of Jesus. So participating in God's program of living out the story of Jesus means that I regularly run to God's grace and view all people as individuals that he loves. May God give us an amazing week of recognizing what God has done for us. And may all of us choose to participate in his program of living out the story of Jesus, understanding the grace of God. It's for the Pharisee and the tax collector and everyone in between.